everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. Mixing it up a little. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Speaking in a halting fashion like Christopher Walken. Welcome to We've Got Mail. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I do the really bad Christopher Walken impersonation. Uh, we apologize to Christopher Walken. and uh, uh, Look, except, I, except, except for uh, uh, Wild Mountain Time. Now, that, one, <laughs> that one's on you. Your Mr. Irish Walken. accent is, is not your best, Chris. We love you. <laughs> we think you're one of the finest actors of your generation. Um, I even liked you in that movie, but your accent... He's 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 been in his share of quite bad films, oh, haven't we all? Um, <laughs> indeed, <laughs> I'll say this though: I wasn't in the Country Bears. <laughs> you can say a lot of things about Whitney Seibold, but if you say he's in the Country Bears, <laughs> we will dead wrong. We will slap that down. <laughs> anyway, this is we've got mail. It's the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the critically acclaimed network. Uh, we invite all of our listeners to write in to letters at critically acclaimed dot net. Uh, we take questions, critiques, concerns, uh, you want to hear recommendations, you want to recommend stuff to us and our listeners, you, uh, uh, basically just get the floor. The floor is yours. We try to get to as many letters as we possibly can every single week. We will never catch up because you write in a lot and we're very grateful for that. Uh, but we do the best we can and we don't like to mm. dilly dally right at the front of the episode. So Whitney, let's just hop right in. All right. Here's a letter from uh, someone calling themselves the, the windy, maybe the mm. windy. Okay. Uh, hello, Mr. Bibbs and Mr. Rockmeister McCool. That, right. That's my name on the show is Rockmeister McCool. That's true. First things first, thank you for yet another year of amazing podcasts all around. Thank you. I listen to all your free podcasts, and simultaneously I'm working on the huge Patreon backlog. Oh, my goodness. It's a lot if you just jump in now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I always think to myself, God, we don't do enough. And I'm like, yeah, if you join in now, there's like quite a lot. It's like it's a thou- thousand hours of content waiting well, for that's you. that's probably an exaggeration, but at least I don't want to say I don't want to say Pro- content anymore. No, we need to stop I'm trying to break that. myself of that habit. We're reducing the stuff that we create, whether mm-hmm. you consider it art or even just entertainment, uh it's it's not content. That's mm-hmm. just content is just stuff that fills the space. Well, content is is the business term for art. Yeah, like, it's, we're, we're going we're, to sell the content yeah. to the consumer. Its and, meaning is nothing. The important mm-hmm. thing is that we have something to sell. So mm-hmm. we need to stop calling it content. Mm-hmm. But the podcasts that we make, the work that we do, there's a lot of it over there. It's at least <laughs> a few hundred hours at this point. Anyway, uh, you really outdid yourselves this year in terms of the sheer number of episodes you released while maintaining an amazing quality. Thank I'm you. looking forward to another year of this. Well, we're going to keep on doing this as long as we can. Until yeah. we drop which is actually increasingly off. <laughs> uh, we're, we're trying to maintain a schedule here, but we we do a lot of shoes or, or work life balance or work work balance. Very very tricky. Uh, anyways, as a lot of listeners do this time of year, I will also share my personal top ten films with you. Yay! Uh, please note, I live in Austria. So some of these movies had a U.S. release in 2019. Uh, as for the same reason, a lot of these movies I keep hearing great things about are not available here yet, like Promising Young Woman, First Cow, Possessor, Palm Springs, Synchronic, and so many more. And because of time reasons, I was not able to watch some others, like The Five Bloods, 40-Year-Old Version, and a few others, yet, uh, e- even though they are available. So enough rambling, here are my top ten. Cool. Um, uh, the Vindy lists them one to ten. I think I'm going to count down to ten to one, just for... 
dramatic purposes. Okay, so we, we get the impression mm-hmm. that these are ranked. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so number 10 is Onward. Uh, even though I really like Soul, this one resonated with me more, and I think the the world they created is believable. However, did they manage that? Number 9, Birds of Prey. I feel like Prey. I want to see a TV show based on Onward. Just set, like, in, set in, like, modern elf world. That's a good point. I like the world. The oh. world is fun. Like, I would <laughs> like to see the ongoing adventures of these characters. Mm. I just hope maybe it wasn't quite enough to bolster, like, one important movie. Maybe that's uh, my issue with it. But it's, I, like, it's a cute little film. I, I dug Onward. I thought it was quite good. Yeah. Um, number nine, Birds of Prey. Uh, I'm with Bibbs on that. Sorry, Ruckmeister. Just keep doing that, DC. Uh, number eight, Emma. So much energy in that film. Anya Taylor-Joy is the gift that keeps on giving. I really got to see that film. Uh, number seven, The Farewell. This was a film that came out in the U.S. last Great year. Great uh, Such a quietly beautiful movie. It's a very specific setting with a universal story everyone can relate to. Number six, The Invisible Man. Uh, one of the most terrifying films of the year. And Elizabeth Moss, what else is there to say? Uh, number five, Weathering With You. Probably oh, the most this. beautiful animation in a long time. It makes you feel like you are in Tokyo, even though I've never been. Yeah, I missed weathering with you. Yeah, I heard a lot of really, really good yeah. things. About it. I remember when your name came out, and a lot of people went absolutely yeah. gaga for it. And I liked it fine. I actually thought it lost its way in like the second half, mm-hmm. so I didn't love it the way other people did. But I heard really good things about weathering with you, and I need to get around yeah, it. Uh, number four, Jojo Rabbit. A uh, really powerful message about hate. Also one of the funniest movies without too often too often crossing the line. Uh, number three, Little Women. A beautiful yes. movie that is just so, so smart. And did I say beautiful? Number two, Color Out of Space. Ah. <laughs> Genre cinema as it ought to be. Great cast all around. The soundtrack is fantastic. And number one, Saint Maud. A film I didn't see. Didn't An amazing see character study that left did, me riveted. Did that even did that oh. come out? Because there's like a couple of like major horror releases that mm-hmm. like keep getting pushed back. Like we were supposed to get Candyman, we didn't get Candyman. Yeah. Was Saint Maud one of the ones that didn't get released in, in America yet, I or has think, it been? I think it did, like barely. Did I, I think I just missed. It. Dang it. Okay. Yeah, like uh, I, I remember when it was about to come out. Yeah, um, it was supposed to come out like April. Yeah, and, like it just well, shit happened. But. I, th- I think it ended up. You know what? I think actually, I think it's still coming in in the United States. It played fantastic. Yeah, like it opened then, in like festivals and stuff. But I don't think uh, it's had a proper release. It's supposed just to. Yet. Co- it's supposed to come out later this month. Okay, so uh, we'll, we'll alleg- be on allegedly it, yeah. the 29th. For who okay. knows if that if that'll stick around. Or oh, hmm. I need to be his two dates. It has the 29th and the 12th. So I think 29th is like a limited theatrical, right. and then the 12th is like February 12th. Uh, February 12th, uh, yeah, it's like uh, Amazon or wherever you uh, get your shutter, wherever yeah. it's going to be streaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah probably not. Sure. Um, uh, but yeah, number one, St. Mon. Pretty wow. cool. Um, I, I've heard really for, good things. Thank you for reading my email. Uh, and if not, that's okay, too. <laughs> Yours, the Vindy. Well, thank uh, you for your email. Yeah. And we love hearing these lists. We really, mm-hmm. really do. Um, we like being able to give people space to talk about the films that they liked that we didn't see or even that they liked more than us. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's 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 a great big universe. And we're all really puny. We're just tiny little specks <laughs> oh, please, stop. about the size of Mickey Rooney. I, I had that cassette as well. Uh, but uh, no, we love hearing your your um, your, uh, your perspectives, and we love hearing what movies. I also like hearing what movies ended up coming out in other countries at different times. Yeah, like the fact yeah. that the Farewell and Little Women and, and Jojo Rabbit and Jojo yeah. Rabbit were films that were 2020 films in a lot of other places is 
completely just the the reality in which we live. Yeah, yeah. And it's a lot of people would be like, hey, those came out in 20, like in America. Like we can't hey. like. Hey, Americans, there are other countries. Yeah, it's all perfectly <laughs> valid. Like we default to America because we're Americans. We're Americans. That makes sense to us. But like, yeah, we, we get it. Mm-hmm. Movies come out whenever they come out. So yeah, perfectly valid. Uh, here's a letter from Cameron. Hello, Cameron. Hi, Cameron. Uh, hello, Bibbs and David Arquette pronounced Rockmeister McCool. <laughs> It's a new spelling. As, as I've said, there is no incorrect spelling for Rockmeister McCool. All the yeah. spellings are correct. Someone's just going to send us, like, Dear Bibbs and, like, all of James Joyce. And then at, uh, and then at the end of, like, Ulysses, <laughs> it just says pronounce Rockmeister McCool. <laughs> Dear Bibbs and stately plump Buck Mulligan. Uh, uh, I'm 23 years old, I've only, but I've only seriously gotten into film since I was around 19 or 20. So obviously I have a lot of catching up to do. I've made a lot of headway in 2020, catching up with the films of John Carpenter and Wes Craven, and all of the classic Universal monster movies. Yay! But through all of that, I feel like I've been slacking off on seeing new releases. I only saw about 70 in 2020, which I know is a lot to most people, but it's way less than I had in 2018 and 2019. I want to expand my base of knowledge about the history of film, especially stuff from before I was born. But I also want to be able to stay cognizant of contemporary films that contribute to the discourse uh, that are there. Yep. Any tips for striking that balance? Uh, thanks. Mm. Keep up the great work and take care of yourselves while you do it, Cameron. Um, the only thing, th- to me, the oh, only yeah. thing that's actually tricky uh, in, in that is keeping up with the new releases. Because the new releases, their availability comes and goes. Mm. Um, I mean, nowadays, most stuff is going like straight to VOD. But uh, typically, in a, in a typical year, they'll come to theaters and they'll be gone for a while, and then you won't be able to access it, and then it'll be on Blu-ray mm. or whatever. And um, so it's a little hard to keep up with the constant flow mm. of the new stuff. So my general rule of thumb is, if you really want to stay cognizant of new releases, um, that's the more time-sensitive stuff. So, like, if there's something you want to see and it just came out, you want to be part part of. The Twitter conversation. Yeah, and I think that conversation, whether it's on Twitter or elsewhere, Mm. is is kind of important because that's where we're sort of laying the groundwork for what do we think of this. Mm. And if you you might agree with the general consensus, but if you don't, it's a really good time to speak up and to actually be part of that conversation so that we can have a more nuanced, balanced, interesting conversation rather than, Mm. I liked it, great, then we'll never talk about it again. Um, So... And then in the cracks, whenever you're, you have free time, that's when you see the old stuff. Mm. So, you know, you plan to see a couple of new releases a week, whatever you're comfortable with, whatever you have the time and money for. And then when you're not doing that, throw in something old. Yeah. See yeah. whenever you can. Like, I, I don't have a lot of time to see stuff that's just for me. Mm. You know, it's just for fun, just for my own personal education or just interests. But whenever I do, yay! <laughs> <laughs> what a wonderful night! <laughs> Yeah, the other night I saw Torque for the first time. Oh, I... Just for pleasure. Oh, my God. It's, I it's, love Torque so much. It's rare that I get to watch a movie just for fun. What so, did you think of Torque? Uh, Torque is uh, just a wonderfully stupid piece of crap. Yep. It, it is so, so enjoyable. Like, it... Imagine... Uh, I don't know if if you were uh, ever bullied by jocks at your school, mm-hmm. but we I have were. I have some pretty vivid memories of like having my face stuffed in another human being's armpit on more than one occasion. Sometimes, okay. sometimes in an athletic uh, scenario, sometimes not. Yeah. Uh, imagine that odor uh, <laughs> mixed with spilled Budweiser at a mall. That's the odor of torque. 
It, it is. It no, that's is, a compliment. That, that it's it's certainly descriptive. It is the uh, <laughs> that that kind of gross maleness and alcohol kind of congealed together and turned into a motorcycle movie. Uh, I, I watched it with my wife. Mm-hmm. She had just seen it for the first time recently, so it was her second time through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and she wanted to watch it again. So she, she wanted it. she wanted to watch it again, and uh, even after the second time, she could not make sense of the plot. Oh, it's, like the, the plot is absurd. It doesn't make any sense. You don't know the motivation. It's about of the like characters. it's about three biker gangs, and one biker gang's bad, and they make the other biker gangs there's, fight each other, meth, and that's it. There's like meth hidden inside of motorcycles, yeah. but who has them at any given moment is a little amorphous. And every action sequence is more absurd than the last. Mm. And like, like the last one is basically just a motorcycle that moves so fast <laughs> it destroys a city. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, it's just, which is a lot of fun. It, There's a big motorcycle a, fight uh, where two people literally use motorcycles to hit each other. <laughs> They're motorcycle fighting. It's super great. Yeah. One of my favorite things in that movie is there's a bit where uh, Martin Henderson... Uh, from uh, the remake of The Ring, back in that brief moment where he thought he'd be a big deal, um, he's he's it, being he, chased. He's 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 actually Sam Worthington. It's the same person. Oh, he just keeps changing his name. Uh, he uh, he's being chased by Ice Cube because Ice Cube thinks he killed his brother or something like that. And uh, Ice Cube chases him on top of like a speeding bullet train. <laughs> oh, it's, like, it's just a regular Amtrak, but, but they yes, shoot it like it's a bullet train. They shoot it like it's a. Speed they're riding uh, riding motorcycles on the top of the train, and in order to elude capture, Martin Henderson manages to somehow sidle his motorcycle down into the car yeah. and zips at equal speed down the middle of the crowded passenger car. There's a bit at the end of that action sequence that I've, I don't think I've seen in hardly any action movie, and I really mm. appreciated it. Where after all of that, Martin Henderson was like, that was weird. <laughs> that was so crazy what we just did. Can you, can you believe what I just did? Mm. Okay, anyway, back to the plot. Like, just one moment where <laughs> Thor was like, I just fought the Hulk in a gladiator arena. Can I just appreciate that I had a weird day? Like, just once. I like them to acknowledge that what they do is weird. That it was a weird, hard day we just had. And I kind of like that. Torque is full of little moments like that that I like. <laughs> Torque is absurd. Yeah. But uh, in any case, yeah, I, I, we got way off track. But that's the thing is you find the time. To do the research on the old stuff whenever you can. Yeah. But I find myself, the balance is, because the current release stuff is a bit more pressing, time Mm. is more of a factor, I prioritize that a little bit, but I always try to make time for at least a couple of things around around the week. Well, here's a good guide, and this is something that sort of guided me through uh, this phenomenon you're describing, of being Mm. wanting to balance the the old and the new. Um, it's it's critics. Uh, you read a review of a new film, read a couple reviews of the new fi- of a new mm-hmm. film, and you're going to run into a reference mm-hmm. to an older film. There's like a, allude to something that uh, was in that the critic noticed influenced the film they're watching. Yeah. Even if it's a piece of crap, they'll talk about it. Sometimes, uh, you know, you'll you'll run into a review of some like really trashy piece of garbage, but uh, just to sort of counterbalance the argument, the critic will bring up Ingmar Bergman. Yeah. Watch that movie. Well, you know, I remember... Like, use that as sort of your double feature with the new film you just saw. That I mean, way we, can, we have a whole podcast of... called Episode Zero, mm-hmm. which is all dedicated to the movies that inspired popular movies. But we actually did this for a while in our first podcast, mm-hmm. where we would look at the new releases and we'd each recommend a B feature. Yeah. Something that relates. Maybe it's by the same filmmaker or maybe it's thematically appropriate mm-hmm. in some way. I'm trying to think of, like, what's, like, something recent we could uh, consider... In that, like, um, 
What came out like towards the end of last year? Like, what was a big movie towards mm-hmm. uh, Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four? All right. Uh, what's a, what's like a movie you would recommend? Like an older movie, a couple oh. movie or two you'd recommend? Mm-hmm. Like you're interested in Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four, whether or not you dug it. What mm-hmm. would be some older movies to sort of that would go along with it very very well? Mm-hmm. George Cukor's The Women. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. I like that. <laughs> right. Yeah, I like that a lot. Watch George Cukor's The Women after you watch Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. It's a better I movie. It. <laughs> I dig it. Yeah. I dig it. That's that's. Or, or don't they watch a, a movie? No, I guess they don't in Wonder Woman. No, not really. No, no. no. no like you watch It Chapter 2 and you can chase that with A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5 because they watch that movie in the movie. That's true, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm trying mm. to think if there's anything like... No, I don't think... I'm mm. trying to think of what came out in 1984. Watch 1984. <laughs> <laughs> the, the 1984 film. Yeah, why not? Yeah, they knew what they were doing. It's 1984. Shit, we better make a 1984. It's a pretty so, good movie version of the book. Mm-hmm. A lot mm-hmm. of people like it a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I digress. We can move on. Here is another Watch movie. Wishmaster. There you go. <laughs> oh, That's there the you movie go. Wish, Wonder Woman Wishmaster, It's yes. actually a better version of the Wishmaster plot. It's the same plot, just, yeah. But, but cooler. But way, way more awesome gore. Yeah, the makeup effects are amazing. The There's... wish the wish storytelling is actually pretty clever, and the it's oh. cool. There's a scene where somebody falls over and then their skeleton gets up without them. <laughs> and, and they stretch through their flesh and leave all this glop behind. It's, it's really awesome. Cool. Yeah. Uh, anyway, here's a letter from Jinxie. Hello, Jinxie. Uh, dear Critically Acclaimed, I tend to pick watching an older movie over newer ones. Oh, we have a theme. theme here, yeah. Yeah. And I live in a more rural area, which hasn't, <clears throat> hasn't mattered much this year. But for one of my picks, it meant traveling all morning to a theater, watching the movie, and then coming home. This mm. might seem like a complaint, but those are actually some of the best days, and I really miss them. Mm. <clears throat> you okay? That one's, yeah, it's just a little horse. A lot of podcasting. Yeah. Uh, t- taking, a, taking a note from Ticklish Business... I give you Great my podcast. top 10 movies I discovered in 2020. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. In no order except for my number one. Uh, Emma, 2020. Seeing the costumes that were based on real historic dresses and the historical hairstyles was truly a joy. Paris Blues, 1961. Hmm. Sidney Poitier and Paul Newman are jazz musicians who fall in love with two women while visiting Paris. Poitier has to decide if he loves Diane Carroll enough to return to the racism that he's found in the U.S., his part of the film is fascinating with a really important debate. Newman having to worry that he'll lose his artistic abilities by settling down didn't do too much for me, but it makes Poitier's plight all the more pointed. Hmm, I haven't seen that Plus, one. Plus, there's a scene where Louis Armstrong brings his jazz band and challenges Newman and Poitier to a jazz fight. Hmm, that's awesome. <laughs> Any movie can be improved by doing something similar. Yeah, more jazz fights in please. movie, please. Uh, Birds of Prey. This movie was great fun, but Whitney is right in how it could be improved. <laughs> Someone pointed out online, like, your your comment that Birds of Prey could have been dramatically improved with, like, more shots of, like, Harley kicking some dude's nuts into oblivion. Yeah. Just right. any guy, really. And, yeah, you found a way no. to improve it. No one's arguing I, I, <laughs> that. That would make it even better. I, I was, I, I wanted more more chaos and violence in that movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Women, 1939. Hey, you just George, talked about Just that. talked about George Cukor huh. does an amazing job of filming a movie with only women in a satisfying way. I really appreciate how witty this movie is. Mm. Little Women, 2019. Yay! I've seen all the Little Women movies. And most of the miniseries. I've skipped the William Shatner one because I've heard it's not great. Didn't I really know enjoyed... there was a William Shatner one. Oh, my God. Uh, he plays Honestly. Joe. Uh, I really enjoyed this take on it, and Bibbs is basically right about why. I wish they had put Bob Odenkirk in the movie. It... They hadn't put Bob Odenkirk in the movie. Pulls me out of the movie every time. He's he's weird casting, and he comes mm. in like right in the middle. And I think a lot of people are like, mm. "Oh, 
I think if he'd been there from the beginning, we wouldn't have questioned it. But because mm. he shows up in the middle, it's a little distracting. Well, I, I can and, appreciate it. And the the um, out, out of sequence, like out of chronology, storytelling threw me at one point. Yeah, because I thought that he had come back after his death and was like. This character reminds us of our father so much that we're just going to get the same actor to play. Oh, oh no, wait, weird. This, oh, wait, no, it's just in the past. I'm okay. sorry. That, that didn't confuse yeah, me, but I can see kinda, what that would kinda, be Kind of yeah. whiffed me a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Citizen Kane, 1941. Not much to say. It's very good. Though not my favorite Orson Welles of the year. I watched mm. it to see Mank. I still haven't seen Mank. <laughs> Uh, Jingle Jangle 2020. This was mm-hmm. was just so much fun, and it was so beautiful with amazing details down to every, the way every hair was done. Rear Window, 1954, has a lot of, uh, a lot has already been said about this film. My favorite part is Thelma Ritter. She always knows exactly what's going on and why. She's fine. Uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yeah. This really is the second first place. I love this movie. I'm so glad I got to see it in a theater with no distractions. The love story is really my sort of slow, my sort of slow burn romance. One storyline that I keep coming back to is that of Sophie who needs to get an abortion. Mm. And my number one is The Third Man. I saw this movie on the 3rd of January. It is an excellent film with fascinating twists and turns. It's also the film that prepared me for what 2020 was going to be. A big theme of the film is how much life is worth. I met a lot of people who sound a lot like the villain in this film. Uh, If you haven't seen it, see The Third Man. I I think I've seen The Third Man more often in theaters than any other movie. Oh, yeah? I've seen it at least six, I think five or six times minimum. Like, I've seen that movie. Like, every time it's been re-released, every time it's screened in town, I always try to go see it. It's so alive. (laughs) It it really just... It's it's one of the peppiest film noirs ever. Like, it's just got so much kooky. It's it's got a kooky energy, and I love Mm. that Joseph Cotton is... Every time he tries to be, like, a proper film noir like anti-hero cool guy mm-hmm. he's humiliated in some way and it's really yeah. funny <laughs> it's a funny movie actually even I, though it's I, really I, bitter and sad I, I do like that joseph cotton is sort of a dork he keeps it yeah. kind of grounded and yeah. uh, there's an honorable mention here for bad day at black rock 1955 uh-huh. i'm not sure what to make of this film it does however take on the hatred of japanese americans during world war ii and i haven't seen many films from uh, that time do that it even brings up uh, while the father was being relocated, because that's how they refer to being sent to an internment camp, mm. his son was fighting the war. At the museum I work at, we have similar stories and oral histories from veterans. It also has an older Spencer Tracy using judo and karate chopping down villains. I hope the two of you are doing well. Thank you for recommending more than a few of these movies, Jinxie. Thank you. Um, that actually is a great point, and I think it's something that a lot of film critics uh, don't talk about. And- the folks over at Ticklish Business uh, are wonderful, and obviously we don't want to steal their bit, but it's a good conversation to have. And I know it's actually kind of hard to think about because we see so many movies and so many of them we see for podcasts or work, mm. but are there any older movies you didn't mm. have to see like just because they're new releases uh-huh. that really stood out for you and you were glad you got to discover in 2020? Does anything mm. come to mind? Uh, well, all, all of the films that we watched for our streaming club, these were new films mm. that we got to, that we sort of assigned to ourselves, and that yeah. was a, a pretty fun project. And I got to see a lot of really good movies that I hadn't seen before. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, I, I was actually really glad to rediscover The Searchers, a movie that yeah. for many years I really loathed. I, I saw it in, in film school when I was like maybe 19 or 20 and yeah. just hated it. Just I, brazenly, outwardly hated it. I always had mixed feelings yeah. about it. And then, yeah, you're right. This last time mm. we saw it, I think we finally like found the right wavelength. And mm. it's a really good film. Yeah. Um, it, it's been said that uh, you know films don't change. They're recorded. 
but the people who see them do. And it's worth revisiting these movies time and time again. And uh, I, I think a, a good bellwether for how great a movie is, is mm. one that speaks to you uh, repeatedly. Yeah. Uh, you can watch it and really dig it for one reason when you're young and then watch it and really dig it for another reason when you're old. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that that's that's just as arbitrary a measure as any, but it uh, seems valid to me. Well, I mean, again, you, you're going to grow up, I hope, and you're going to have a long life, I hope, and, you know, the art will be there. Mm. And if you're going to revisit it, it would it's certainly nice that it doesn't just stay stagnant. And, you know, it's nice to see a movie and it transports you back to when you were a kid or whatever, but to look at that same movie that you saw as a kid and look on it with new eyes and see something extra... Yeah. Is an extra. It's like a, it's like getting to watch it for the first time all over again, really, yeah. and that's kind of beautiful. Um, I we have a podcast on our Patreon called Only the Best, where we watch uh, every Best Picture nominee ever, and a lot of the less famous nominees were first time watches for me. Yeah, and a lot of them were really exciting, and I had a really wonderful time with them. And I wanted to give a couple of shout outs to those. Um, One hundred men and a girl. <laughs> was such a delightful movie and nobody mm. talks about it. Uh, it is a movie it's set during the Great Depression and it is about a teenage girl whose father is an out of work, I think he's a violinist. He, he's, he's, a, he's a musician in an orchestra. Mm. And she, he knows, another, he's staying at like a big boarding house full of out of work musicians because it's the Great Depression and no one can afford to go to the, see a concert. Um, and she takes it upon herself to find a job for all of them. Mm. And she ends up scheming and shaming people, like rich people, into giving them money. And it ends up just being really fun and sweet. And there's this really great ending where the entire orchestra gets to play, like, inside uh, a famous uh, conductor's house. Mm. It's Leopold Stokowski playing himself. I yeah. couldn't remember them. I knew you would. Mm. Leopold Stokowski, famous conductor. He was the conductor in Fantasia. Um, he's the conductor in all of the Bugs Bunny cartoons. Also that. He was very famous at the time. Mm -hmm. And so, but there's this wonderful bit where it all culminates when he's like, I can't afford to hire all these people. It's just, it's not going to happen. But she pushes them all inside his house and he sees them all there and they're ready to play and he can't help himself. He has to conduct them. What a wonderful scene. <laughs> uh, that movie was great. Dead End was really blew me oh, yeah, away. That was a really good one too. Really, yeah. really great proto film noir, but also like a really great class melodrama as well. And an early villain role for Humphrey Bogart is fantastic. And it's from the director of photography of Citizen Kane. So it looks gorgeous. Mm. Um, and one that's a bit more famous, but I'd never seen it before was Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Oh yeah. I'd, I'd seen that one before. I, I had, really like Goodbye, Mr. Chips. It was really wonderful. It's a really sweet film about teaching. And it just made me ball my eyes out. Um, beyond that, a couple of movies I saw for the first time. Um, I'd never seen the Mel Brooks version of To Be or Not To Be. Okay. I've seen like a piece of it on TV here or there, but I finally just sat down and watched it. I really like that version. <laughs> that version's really funny, and they're able to talk more openly about in it because that movie is set uh, during the Nazi occupation of mm. Poland as a bunch of uh, as an acting troupe tries to find a way to survive and then escape the the occupation. Um, but they're able to speak openly and candidly about the persecu persecution of homosexuals in a way mm. that the original couldn't. Yeah. And I actually think that was a really good thing to include. And it's actually mm. really sympathetic and nicely done. I also saw a William Castle film called Let's Kill Uncle. <laughs> which I just talked about on a podcast called Really Scared, R-E-E-L-Y. 
Uh, that movie is cool. <laughs> and if you've never seen it, it's about a little kid and his rich father dies. And he goes to live on an island with his uncle. And his uncle is trying to kill the kid. And he flat out tells him. He says, listen, Bar- Barnaby... You're a charming young man, but you are not $5 million worth of charming. So I'm going to try to kill you. And if you can kill me first, you win. (laughs) It's awesome. It's so dark and fun. And um, it stars uh, the girl who, the girl um, from um, To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay. Co-stars her. And she's just wicked in it. She's (laughs) like, ooh, we get to kill a guy? Let's do it. It's so twisted. It's so fun. Anyway, I got to see some fun movies. Yeah. You put me on the spot and my brain empties out. I so was worried I, about I, that. I've got, yeah. I've got nothing. So I, I hear you. Yeah, it took me a minute. I, yeah. I was thinking about it while you were taught, reading the letter. So right. I was able. I had a head start. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, here's a letter from uh, just simply A, the letter A. Hi. Um, hello. This is, is this the email you were looking for? <laughs> it's a, a, Hello, is it me you're looking for? Oh, uh, it's, oh it took uh, me a second. However, in all seriousness, I just watched Promising Young Woman Ooh. and thought it was great. At the same time, it really fucked with me and my wife. Both of us have experienced the same kind of trauma that is the basis in this film. Mm. We rented the film based off of the trailer, which is not a proper advertisement for the actual film. Do the subject matter, do you think a film like this should possibly have a warning about triggering, since its ads are so in opposition to its actual themes and ideas? Mm. I really like the film, but the ads should perhaps present differently, which I get it's similar in step uh to get in more similar step with the film itself yeah and now i realize i've contradicted myself however the final film is not as advertised if left to someone else who is not in the know could it be viewed by somebody who is far too susceptible to hurt the film themes of the film long story short do you think advertising should try harder um yes yeah well uh, uh, I think it was Roger Ebert who said uh, a lot of the people who make trailers use the uh grocery store toothpick sample approach mm-hmm. you go into a grocery store you have a, a sample of cheese on a toothpick uh you know everything you need to know about that cheese the only thing that would uh, you'd gain by buying the cheese is just more of it yeah uh and so he feels like a lot of uh trailers are cut that way you get yeah. the entire movie you get to know everything you need to know about the movie you just don't get to see it assembled yeah yeah, yeah. uh and it's a tricky thing because a lot of movies want their stories or a lot of their characters to remain surprises yeah or to be told in a certain way and the trailers can really uh give it all away and a lot of people have complained about this in the past i know there was a big to do when uh terminator 6 came out uh terminator genesis uh, oh yeah, I guess you're right. Dark Fate didn't really have the problem. It was Terminator Genesis, like yeah, there was, there gave was away a, every twist in the film. Yeah, there was a, a big twist where uh, the, uh, one of the central figures of the series, John Connor, was revealed to be an evil super robot from the future. Yeah. Now that plot and point isn't until halfway through the movie, yeah. but they put it in the film. They put it in the in right in, in the, the trailer, trailer yeah. so so I can openly discuss it. It was part of the advertising. Yeah, uh, and. That was a big surprise. That would have been yeah. a, a lot more fun if it was a surprise halfway through. I, I wrote an article at the time. I, I don't know if it's still available, but it was called The Genesis Effect. Yeah. And uh, it's an issue where, and it's a very, it's an issue that I think, hmm. I interviewed the writers of Terminator Genesis, and I was like, did, did you, 
were you concerned about putting all these twists in like the first half of the movie? Because initially it seems like you're just remaking Terminator. And then there's the twist that mm. uh, Sarah Connor is actually already prepared for to meet a Terminator. In fact, she's already met one and he in, raised in, her. And now in, she's a in, bad... In 1984. So she's a badass line. younger and we've messed with the timeline. And wouldn't that have been a more interesting surprise if you didn't know it in the trailer? And then on top of it, John Connor's the bad guy and that's halfway through. And the problem is... To advertise that movie, to tell people what they're going to get mm-hmm. so that they know they want to they want to buy a ticket, they have to spoil it. Mm-hmm. And they were like, well, we can't write a movie that way. We just have to write it the best way we can to tell a story. And they weren't wrong. But mm-hmm. I think we've entered into this realm where you need to factor in the fact that the movie needs to be marketed. Mm-hmm. And as much as cool as it is to read a story and find out 30 pages in that... You know, this nice rom-com set at an airport is actually a kidnapping story. Red Eye is the Mm. movie I'm referring to. You have to show that it's a thriller in the trailer because if people think it's a romantic comedy and then they go in there, this isn't what we paid to see. Mm. It might be good. It might be bad. Some people might even dig it, but it's not what we paid to see. And I think uh, advertising responsibility mm. to at least prepare people for what they're going to get, even if they're not specific about it. There is a way to cut a trailer maybe a short one for red eye mm-hmm. without giving that away with revealing that there's a thriller element to yeah. it without giving away what the big twist is. Probably. I, yes. I remember, I, I remember the, easy, the original yeah. trailer was just a scene from the movie where it was like the big turning point for the, yeah. the main character. Uh, there was a way to cut a trailer for a promising young woman that actually alludes to the, the themes of that movie. Yeah. Uh, I, still now, ma- when, I still maintain that the best trailer ever is mm-hmm. the trailer for psycho. Where Alfred Hitchcock... There's there's no actual footage for the film. Even the one shot that looks like it's from the film is not from the film. It's actually a different actor. Uh, But the whole movie is just Alfred Hitchcock walking around the Bates Motel talking about how something really bad happened here. But he's nonspecific. He Mm -hmm. just indicates that there was a horrible crime. And I think the the implication is that there's a murder, but he doesn't tell you anything. He just sets the scene Mm. so that you know when you get there something bad's going to happen at this motel. But that's it. That's all you know. It's hard to do. It's it's hard to do. Um, I think advertising has played far too important a part of the conversation when it comes to films. Advertising is only exists in this tiny little window before a film comes out. And then the film is going to go on forever thereafter. Yeah. Uh, And then the trailers will mostly be forgotten. Occasionally the good ones will be remembered, but usually as as sort of little tiny artistic efforts unto themselves. But it's rare that you'll, I'm not even sure if people like will stick in a DVD and discover a trailer that way anymore. Yeah. It was, it was a big way. I discovered a lot of movies. I'd rent, rent something from a couple of years ago and see previews from around that time and right. become familiar that way. Nowadays, it's more likely that someone will be like, Hey, remember like before we knew how bad the Roland Emmerich Godzilla mm-hmm. was, they released these trailers that were like little mini movies that weren't in the film. And mm-hmm. the mini movies were actually pretty good. <laughs> like this one fisherman who gets like thrown away by Godzilla or when Godzilla like, Stomps through the the Natural History Museum. Yeah, yeah. that one was cool. It was uh, it set that was cooler than the movie. <laughs> I was I was working at a video store uh, when that preview hit, yeah. and, and uh, a little kid came in. He was like maybe eight or nine, and he said, "Do you have this? Like, this is a video store. The movie's not even out yet." And I think he didn't quite understand the concept of the the teasers. He just thought yeah. the movie was already out there. Yeah, the teaser exists. Therefore, so, the movie must be available. So the yeah. so he came into a video store before the mo- the Godzilla movie was released in theaters and saying, "Hey, I I need you to point out what this movie is." 
it's like it's this woman's giving a tour through a natural history museum and there's a tyrannosaurus skeleton and then this big foot comes through the ceiling and stomps on the tyrannosaurus skeleton and then walks off i said i know what you're talking about that's a Godzilla movie that's not out yet. But I led him over to like the Godzilla the section. 60s Godzilla movies. And I said, these are the Godzilla movies you want to watch to get ready for that. I remember. He uh, didn't rent any of them. Oh, he wasn't interested. Nice. I remember when I was a little kid and I was renting movies at a place called The Warehouse. That was uh, popular. Where? The Warehouse. <laughs> uh, it was a popular home video chain. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how far it extended. It was very very popular in Southern California mm-hmm. anyway. That is W-H-E-R-E House. Warehouse. Yes. Yeah. They, uh, they rented movies and they also sold CDs and DVDs mm-hmm. and VHSs back when they had them. But um, they had a big standee for robot jocks. <laughs> Yay. And I can't remember what it was, but at least one of the movies that it would rent like over and over again because it was I had favorites had a trailer for Robot Jocks in front of it. And if you've ever seen Robot Jocks, you know how awesome that movie looks. And I always ask, like, hey, when does Robot Jocks come out? And they're like, we don't have Robot Jocks yet. Okay, Mm. cool. Years went by. They never ordered it. (laughs) They had a standee. I appreciate that not every movie that has a trailer in front of a VHS Mm. is going to be carried at every store. They had a standee, Mm. and they never ordered a copy when it came out. It took me years to see that movie. Mm. Anyway, um, but back to your point about advertising. Um, Advertisers don't care about the movie. They don't. They care about getting well, the, you to buy a ticket. That's the studios hire other firms to cut those trailers. Yeah, it's very They're rare often, that a filmmaker has any input. The, yeah, and yeah. In, indeed, a lot of the studios will only give certain scenes or certain pieces of the movie to advertisers yeah. to use in the trailers. The, the The advertisers haven't seen the movie. Yeah. They're not making those decisions. Yeah. Sometimes you'll get a filmmaker who wants to make a trailer in a certain way. Or has or has um, enough clout to have approval yeah. at the very least. But that's pretty rare. It's really rare. Um, yeah. I don't know who made the preview for A Serious Man, the Coen Brothers movie. Oh, that was, yeah. That's a brilliant trailer because it communicates a tone rather than events. It was like a panic attack of a trailer. Like yeah, like it, start, it starts yeah. with a guy getting his head slammed repeatedly against a wall and <laughs> yeah, it, it turns into this rhythmic thing and the, the edits turn into the, the rhythm of the, the head pounding. We yeah. see lines being repeated throughout. It's really, really it, excellent. If the Coen Brothers weren't involved in that, whoever made that trailer mm. was like a Coen fan. Like yeah. they knew what they were doing. <laughs> um, that was a good one. But mm. yeah, Typically, they're just trying to sell you tickets. And mm. sometimes, they're not even going to be honest. I remember um, there's a movie called August Osage County. Ah, uh, yes. Which is based on a play, and it's a very melodramatic, intense family drama with, like, harsh revelations and psychological abuse. And it's frankly, it's kind of a tough sit, even mm. though everyone's really good in it. Well, most everyone's really good in it. But I remember when it came out, it was like a big Christmas release because they were pushing it for Oscar consideration. And there was a trailer I saw on Comedy Central. It was like during The Daily Show where they took all of the scenes from the movie that could be kind of funny and they sold it as a comedy. Yeah. And I was – I'd already seen it. I was offended. (laughs) I was pissed because people are going to hate that movie. Because that's not what that is at all. They're going to go in thinking someone's going to see that trailer mm. and see the movie thinking this is like, this is a fun Christmas movie or something where a family gets together and it's kind of wacky and we all learn a valuable lesson. And then, oh my God, and just ruins their night and the family hates them now. And <laughs> it's just brutal. Mm. So, and, but, and then on top of it, when we get with Promising Young Woman, you know, that's a story 
uh, with very directly uh, tackles themes of sexual assault mm. from a variety of, from on a variety of levels. Um, and that is going to be a hard sit for a lot of people. A lot of people very, very, very tragically have personal experience with something like that, or they know mm. someone who has, and that can really make, that can make it a tough sit, even if it is good. Mm. Um, some people are, are perfectly, you know, able to enjoy a story like that and confront the awfulness of it. And, and, but some people aren't there yet or aren't there right now or just don't want to today. And that's perfectly valid too. So I, I almost wish we could do is we could take the MPAA rating and make it less about just the quantity of violence and more about content warning mm. and more because there are a lot of like, okay, this is something, something bad happens to a dog in this movie. You people want to know that. Mm. A lot of people want to know that. A lot of people like, just can't handle it. Or as opposed to they say the F word a few times. Don't care. <laughs> don't care. But you, something that actually people would want to know and be prepared for or know that they don't want to see it, that's probably more valuable information. Mm. I don't know. That's a thought. Um, and this just highlights how kind of useless the rating system has become. Yeah. You can just say, here's an R-rated film. Well, that can mean so many things. It can mean anything. Uh, if if we lent credence to that, we'd understand. If we're going to see an R-rated film, that's probably something a little bit more adult. It's going to be a yeah. little bit more aggressive. We are prepared for that. Yeah. The R rating doesn't mean anything. Yeah, though. it has like, oh, adult content yeah. or adult themes. And I know they've gotten a little bit more descriptive, but mm. really, you know, the things that we need to know and the things that we need to highlight bigger than the R mm. are things like this movie has psychological abuse or yeah. this movie has, uh, you know, scenes in which... Uh, children are in peril. Some people just can't handle that right now. Mm-hmm. I'm a new parent. I can't stand to see, you know, a kid, you know, mm-hmm. being kidnapped or something. Yeah, I don't know. I can't think of an Try having a young child and watching the movie The Nightingale at some point. It's, there you go. Yeah. Exactly. That's then that that movie is mm-hmm. that movie really deserves its rating. But like, regardless, it's brutal. And you should probably have an idea of what you're getting well, into. And there are websites that have that yeah. that that sort of break down beat by beat the things that are perhaps objectionable for like a younger audience or a more sensitive audience. Um, Not in a finger wagging way. They're not Mm. doing it to censor. They're just spelling Uh, it a little bit more explicitly. There are a few that are, but that's not necessarily true. No, there are some that just sort of lay it out. So you have a better idea as to what's in the movie because the MPAA doesn't do that. Um, And again, I remember you used to just Mm. have to deal with it. If something Mm. happened in a movie that was like really intense and, um, and there's a certain power to that. Mm. But it's a power that needs to be wielded wisely, and I think that expecting everyone in your audience to just be able to take whatever you ditch out is just not where we are right now. Mm. I don't think it's I don't think it's a good tactic. I think it's better that if again if you don't care, then you don't need to read all this stuff or find out all this stuff or pay attention to this Mm. stuff. But if you do, then information should be readily available, and I think that should be a bit more what advertising is about: telling you what you're going to get. Maybe not. Spoilery detail, but preparing you mm-hmm. so that when the movie happens, you're not mad at it or it doesn't ruin your night and you might be more inclined to like it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we should move on. Here's a letter from... Thank you for your email, by the way. Oh, it was yeah. a really great topic. Yeah. Uh, here's a letter from Joshua. Hello, Hi. Joshua. Uh, happy Infrastructure Week, Mr. Bibbs and Cool. If you're not already overrun by them, I would like to provide my favorite films of the clusterfuck that was 2020. <laughs> Firstly, honorable mentions, the works and goings on of TikTok <laughs> is on, on the best of the year list. You know what? 
Yeah, a lot of people on TikTok helped us get through 2020, mm. and I, I'm going to give a shout out. There's a lot of really fun filmmaking going on in that medium, and we don't get a chance mm. to talk about it very often. Oh, I forgot who said it, but they said that film would not be considered art until the camera is as prevalent as pen and paper. Mm. Like, a, a camera has to be really re- widely available to many, many people. Um, this was said mm. back in, I think, the 60s. This might have been a true foeism. Mm. Uh, now they are. People have cameras yeah. in their pockets. Most people have own cameras now. Yeah. Most of the people I know, anyway. And so, yeah, TikTok, people are making short films. Yeah, they're for fun. fun. There's a lot Using of fun films. clever editing and timing and jokes there's and acting. Some yeah, really some, neat editing some tricks actual, on TikTok. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Like, I've actually, like, hmm. I've seen, like, 30-second things on TikTok. And I'm like, that hmm. should be taught in the class. Yeah. yeah. How many clever edits there were in 30 <laughs> seconds in someone's bedroom. Like, that I, was really cool. I saw these two kids, two high school kids, were playing a game of uh, table tennis. And uh, they started by bouncing it off of paddles. But every time they edited, and it was edits, yeah. like, Looking at one uh, one player, then looking at the other player. Yeah, shot, and, reverse, uh, shot, 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 reverse, shot. Yeah. And um, they uh, every time we reversed shot, they were no longer holding a ping pong paddle, but some other wild object. Okay, it's like they bounced the ball with uh, a blender, and then yeah. holding a whole television set, That's you know, fun. a tennis racket, that sort of thing. And then the last shot, you see the final player holding a live cat. Not to hit the ball with a live cat. But as the ball moves into frame, it hits the table, and oh, they they switched it with an egg, and it just cracks on the table. And that's the end of the video. That's fine. It's great comic that's timing. That feels it's like really a clever. routine. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's a really good one. Like and that's that. just two high school kids dicking around yeah. in their basement. Good. Yeah. That's great. Uh, that's this, inspired. This generation is giving me so much hope. That's really uh, cool. All right, but anyway, thank anyway, you. That's uh, a great shout out. That's a great <laughs> shout thank out, you. So. I don't see any other critic do that. Someone should have done that. That's smart. Thank uh, you. Hey, I put a Quibi film on my list. You put so. a Quibi film, <laughs> yes. But just TikTok in general, <laughs> that's clever. I fully support it. Other Honorable Renson's host... City Hall, Sound of Metal, Martin Eden. I didn't see Martin Eden. I didn't see it either. Uh, Color Out of Space, Boys State. I heard good things about that one. Yeah, I didn't see that one. Uh, Borat, Subsequent Movie Film, To Five Bloods, and The Assistant. Okay. Uh, Now to the the proper top ten. Number ten is I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Mm. No one makes movies quite like Charlie Kaufman, but that uniqueness made each of his films at least interesting to me and quite a bit transcendent. While I have some issues with this entry to his oeuvre, no one has hopeless. No one makes hopeless depression so beautifully. Uh, my my opinion mm. on the film is well noted. Mm. I'm not going to take away any steam from you the way I would from Whitney <laughs> when he talks about this movie. I didn't like it as much as you, you did, but I'm glad you enjoyed you, it. You start letting air out of my my balloon before it's even inflated, sir. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, number nine, another round. I feel when oh, alcohol yeah this is the Mads Mikkelsen alcoholism movie yeah. I feel when alcoholism is shown in American culture there are two ways it's portrayed either as humorous or as an irreversible tragedy seeing a nuanced take by someone as skilled as Thomas Vinterberg makes it a refreshing watch and number eight totally under control oh, drive you crazy I may be picking relevance rather relevance rather than quality here but who cares I feel that this film will be looked upon in the future to at least give a broad overview of what we were feeling and thinking during the times we're currently living through. Uh, that's the uh, Alex Gibney documentary about uh, the Trump administration's bungling of the coronavirus. I think there's a, I think there's a tendency for people, and I've done this myself, mm. uh, to say that it's you know it can be more effective to wait until we have some perspective on a time mm. before we start making movies about what it meant. Uh, however, and they can be really really hit or miss, but I think there's a lot of value to people trying to do it in the time. Mm. Again, they might whiff it completely, but their effort 
yeah. is interesting. And when we look back on the movies made about an era during that era, mm. it can be incredibly telling whether or not they're good. Yeah, I was... I, I, Liked that uh, HBO series we watched for Cancel Too Soon called Here and Now, oh, yeah. which was about the here and now. And it had some weird twists in it, but it tried to deal with some pretty heady topics, like as they were coming out in the conversation. Yeah. And not always successfully, but I yeah. admired the effort. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, number and seven. Be interesting to watch like 20 years from now, be like, what was it like back then? That's not a bad example. Yeah. Uh, number seven, Palm Springs, an entertaining and at times profound modern take on Groundhog Day, which adopts some nihilistic philosophy and is given higher significance for me due to the accidental parallel to the routine of quarantine. That's a good point, actually. No, it was a really mm-hmm. good movie, and it came very... It, all my runners-up came pretty close to being my top ten, but I really yeah. like that movie a lot. Uh, here's an interesting one. I don't know. Number six, I Was Home But... I heard uh, of this. One of the strangest and most fascinating films I saw last year, as well as being one of the last films I saw in a theater, again, with whose monotonous tone gained more significance the, the year later for me. But otherwise, the commentary on the medium of the film, including references to Ozu and Brasson, really excite me. Mm. Yeah, uh, Ozu made a film called I Was Born But. Um, oh, yeah, I don't, know, I don't know this film. I, I was home but. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's about like a kid... Who like disappears and then comes back mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, all the questions that that raises. I, I think it's a Russian movie. Oh, um, that's all I know. Really, check it out. I, I missed it out. I remember mm-hmm. hearing it was good, but that's all I. Mm-hmm. That's all I got. Uh, Vitalina Ver- Vitalina Varela. Mm-hmm. This is one I really wanted to see, and it didn't get around to the greatest piece of pure slow cinema of the year, a masterpiece of mood, emotion, and cinematography. Number four, First Cow. Kelly Reichardt is a master of her craft. Her films feel perfect when you watch them, and not in a cold, calculating way. There's a humanity to her characters and the world they live in that makes them such a joy to watch. I agree. I love First Cow. That's a good movie. Uh, number three, Soul. Oh, yeah. While I understand the critiques, some of this Pixar entry, it has, uh, and some plot points. The reason this ranks so highly for me is due to the final message of appreciating life's moments really resonates with me now. And I think of small moments that I took for granted. Things like going into a bar and getting a pint and watching a basketball game or going to a museum or hugging my mom. Maybe any other year this wouldn't have hit so hard, but in 2020 it worked for me. It's, it's, a, it's, yeah. it's an okay movie. I think it's the kind of movie I think would, if I'd been younger, it would have hit me harder. Mm. And again, it's Pixar. That's what they're doing. Yeah. Um, but I, I think I just was ready for something a bit more nuanced. No. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to respond unless it properly emotionally destroys me. <laughs> Which, to be fair, Pixar does a lot. They're capable of it. They've done it, they've many done it before. Times. Many times they've done that. I watched uh, Inside Out a second time uh, yeah. at a drive in, and it still made me weep. Like, so I, I knew it was coming. And it I'm afraid to see Coco again because it wrecked me constantly. <laughs> it's such a good film. Yeah, yeah. I think Coco is one of the reasons why I didn't care for Soul as much either because mm. I felt like they covered a lot of the same ground. Yeah. And yeah. I thought that Coco did it with a bit more. Uh, I, I think Life, that makes, yeah. well, I think vibrancy, mm. but also the fact that there was a cultural specificity mm. to the afterlife actually, I think it gave it a lot more personality and power to me mm. rather than this sort of what is the absolute neutral state of the afterlife where yeah. there's no religious inclination whatsoever. There's no cultural history to it. We're going to reduce, it's going to be science, but the science that doesn't exist. And that's interesting as an academic exercise, but as a movie, I res- I think Coco hit me a lot harder yeah. because of the specificity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, number two is Disclosure. Uh, 
Do I know this one? I, I heard a lot of critiques of this one, actually. As a transgender person, this felt important to see, and I'm incredibly happy it exists, and I'm hoping it leads to more representation in the near future. I wish it wasn't so necessary, and that the history of transgender cinema wasn't so bare. Yeah, this was, uh, hmm, I, think was, was a, this? I think it was a Netflix documentary. It was about oh, yes. the, the history okay, of, yeah. of trans characters in cinema. Yeah, okay. And yes. I've, I've heard that it, it doesn't go nearly far or deep enough. That was the critique I heard. Um, I haven't seen it, so I, mm. I couldn't say, but yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, say. Yeah. and number one is Small Axe. Yeah. Uh, many words have been said, written, praising this masterpiece. I'll just say it seems like a truly important moment in cinema history. Kind regards, Joshua. Well, thanks for writing in, Joshua. Mm. I'm really interested in how like we've, people are talking about the best movies of the year, and you know, and not all of them are this, but mm. how often we're trying to look at it as we're going through such a tumultuous, tumultuous, tumultuous. Mm turbulent scary time in history and what are the movies that we're going to take with us that we're going to like define this era that we're going to point to and say it was like that Mm. and that's going to be interesting conversation and i'm not sure everyone's going to agree on what movies those are Mm. Um, even the ones that we're trying to and some of the ones that weren't and just ended up feeling kind of like palm springs is a good example where Mm. I doubt they were thinking about that. They couldn't possibly the movie, but like premiered at Sundance before the pandemic started. And yet you're right. The idea of living in isolation where every day is the same as the last and it does, you can't really go anywhere and it doesn't seem like you have any future. Uh, and you're just trying to make the most out of what's currently available to you because you're just trapped with one person in a room. A lot of people went through <laughs> that. that ended up actually being a very mm. timely film. Through no, surely no intention of the filmmakers, mm. and yet it was kind of perfect. Yeah, no, it's yeah. A, some films are are seen as better or worse depending on when they come out. Yeah, uh, I remember, can be yeah, a lot of things. I, yeah. I, I remember the whole fiasco with the sequel, the Sicario sequel, mm. and about how uh, it came out like I think the same week as all of the news started to come out about what was going on at the American border. Uh, around and, there, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, and that was a story about like drug cartels at the American border, sort of romanticized violence version of mm-hmm. it. Like, and it's how, so how, bad down there, it's a good thing Americans and, and are... It, and it seemed like... Yeah. Instantly, it was like naive and dated. And there was, you know, yeah. a, a Catherine Keener's in the movie. She has a line of dialogue about how, oh, this this president doesn't care about winning. He just cares about, oh, wait, sh- hang on a second. Wait, we thought there'd be another president. Yeah. <laughs> we thought there'd be another. And even like shortly afterwards, when uh, uh, the actual president started talking about stuff that he heard happening at the border where there was actually mm. no evidence whatsoever that it ever happened except in that Sicario movie. Yeah, yeah, he was using it as evidence of mm. the real world. That was. That was fucking weird. Because he's dumb. As as we record this, yeah. um, we're gonna have a new president tomorrow morning. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> we're we just are try- so ready for that. Hold- shit. Holding our breath in this last leg. No, the one I the one I keep thinking of actually mm. that was like so timely until it wasn't, and then it ended up being accidentally more timely mm. uh, is the Purge election year. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. The Purge election year. It's I still think it's the best film in that series. And again, you know the oh, premise. Oh, by far, yeah. Um, conservatives taking over. Just weird. A fringe extremist conservative movement has taken over American politics and they have created an annual holiday in which all crime, including murder, is legal for 12 hours once a year, ostensibly for this moralistic reason, you know, like in that uh, Star Trek episode, to just get out all of our negativity all at once and then we'll be better to each other throughout the year. Festival, but in, festival. But in actuality, it's it's a means of 
uh, decreasing the size of the population and it exponentially affects uh, people in lower income classes and also uh, people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and as election year came around, the third movie in the series, I started dealing with that directly. And it ended up being about uh, a woman who was actually running for president and she was running on a platform of we're going to stop the purge. Mm-hmm. And the conservatives were like, no, we're not going to, we're not going to do that. And so they actually basically six their entire following on her by saying, you know, we're going to let people kill politicians mm-hmm. this year during the purge. And then the movie ends, spoiler alert, you can skip ahead a few seconds if you're worried about it, you haven't seen it yet. But it ends with Hillary Clinton winning. And then all of the conservatives in America decide, fuck it, we're going to purge anyway. Mm. Uh, the the die has been cast, the genie's been let out of the bottle, and we everyone's so used to letting their rage and their ignorance fuel them that they're just going to storm the Capitol building. That movie is weirdly ahead of its time. <laughs> but for a couple of years, because they anticipated that like Hillary Clinton was going to win, like that was the ending, is Hillary Clinton-esque character mm-hmm. wins. For a bit, it seemed like, oh, um, okay, we might have taken the franchise in a direction where it's not going to be as topical for a bit. And then it got topical again. Yeah, yeah. And... Again, I think when we look back on things, I think the Purge movies are going to end up be feeling like John Carpenter's They Live, mm. where yeah. they, were, they were very in your face, but they were also kind of on point. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, I that was at the end of the letter. I that know was we, the end of the Okay, letter. yeah. That's that's a, a great top ten list. Mm. I need to see a couple of those movies, actually. Absolutely, yeah. I want, I want to see mm. that uh, that Ozu one. Mm. Um, Ozu-esque. Ozu-esque film. Yeah. The, yeah. Ozu is dead. Yeah. It's not making movies anymore. Sadly. Uh, I had a dream once where I accidentally wound up in a movie theater and it was a premiere of a new Orson Welles movie uh-huh. and I had ended up in heaven <laughs> and where filmmakers got to keep making movies. Ah, okay. Boy, was that a great dream. <laughs> it was a wonderful dream. So I like to think that Ozu and Welles and all these other filmmakers who we, we really care about and would love mm. to see new films, they're out there and, you know, someday we might get to see them. I'd like to think that they like to think that they're sort of like retired now. Well, if they want yeah. to, if they mm. don't, keep making movies. Why not? So, because you know, afterlife, there's no exhaustion. Just keep working. Yeah. Um, one more letter. Um, yeah, we got right. one more. All right. Here's uh, here's a letter from Ryan. Uh, hey guys, hope you're chilling. Like a villain. Uh, after hearing a previous letter yet again extolling the virtues of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I wanted to write in a personal quibble. To perhaps prompt discussion. Okay. When I saw Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I thought it was good. I didn't see the indisputable mastery that so many others did. Perhaps this is because of my experience of my experience of the ending. Keeping things as spoiler-free as possible, the ending involves a piece of classical music which reminds the lead character of another moment earlier in the film when the same music is played. There are tears, etc. Putting aside the obvious gripe that it it visually has lifted the whole call me by your name thing. The scene failed to strike me because I uh, didn't realize that the two classical pieces were the same. Oh, uh, interesting. Okay. Uh, classical music sounds like a lot of formless plinking to me. <laughs> much okay. the same how all jazz sounds like so much formless noodling. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it took my girlfriend enlightening me afterwards to understand the scene. Thus, my own ignorance robbed the ending of its power. So finally, my question. Has your pure first viewing of a film ever been so compromised that you feel you'll never have, you'll have, you'll have forever missed out on something? Uh, thanks and keep keeping on, Ryan. Um, 
Ryan, thank you so much for that. And that's actually that's actually a good point, actually. And it's something we tend to forget. You have pointed out uh, mm. on more than one occasion that we tend to use the word pretentious wrong. Mm. We tend to use the word pretentious to mean um, sort of stuck up, mm. you know, snobby. Uh, when pretentious actually means... If you look at the root of the word. Yeah, yeah, it actually means to assume that the audience knows everything that you're talking about. Mm. Um, and in particular, this is relevant when you're talking about things that are not simplistic or universal. When you're talking about things like uh, books you may have read or music mm. you may have heard, to use this ex- specific example. Yeah, yeah. You, might, you might assume that a certain piece of music, a certain piece of literature is universally known. Yeah. And you talk about it as if it's universally known, and turns out maybe a lot of people don't know that thing. Exactly. Um, this uh, an example that comes to mind, even though it's not movies specifically. Uh, is over the course of the pandemic, I have gotten more into following different sort of areas of YouTube. Um, <laughs> okay. And one of the things that I've gotten into because uh, my wife and partner uh, Emma Lapis da Silva is uh, very much uh, interested in The Sims. Uh, the video game is sort of a creative thing. And uh, we started watching uh, people in the Simmer online community. And there's one uh, who I'm very, I think is actually very interesting uh, named Plumbella. That is their, you know, YouTube handle. And she tends to edit clips from what I can only imagine are reality TV shows. And mm-hmm. they'll just cut to a line that sounds like it's from a reality TV show. It is full of all of these references to things that I haven't watched. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And I understand that the joke exists, but I don't get it. Hmm. I find that kind of fascinating, actually, that there's this, it's contemporary popular culture, and I'm completely removed from it. Hmm. It's almost like being a kid again. Like, when I was a kid and I was watching movies that referenced, you know, classical works of art or books I haven't read yet, I knew what they were talking about, but I didn't understand the specifics of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a reading Mad Magazine and they make a Cries and Whispers joke. Yeah. So you haven't seen Cries and Whispers when you're eight. At least I hope you haven't. Eventually you pick up on the fact that that's Ingmar Bergman. Mm. He's a filmmaker who makes movies that kind of look like this. And a lot of people, when they reference art house cinema, they're going after Ingmar Bergman. But you still might not have seen Cries and Whispers. Mm. Um, so this happens. And I, I think Portrait Laid on Fire is an interesting example. Of that. I think your illusion... To Call Me By Your Name isn't quite the same because I think the ending of Call Me By Your Name isn't so much a specific callback musically so much as it is uh, Timothy Chalamet looking sad while a cool song plays. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. That's a reduction of what the mm. scene is about, but it's it's not quite the callback that I think Call Me By Your Name mm. is. Um, and I think the filmmaker, I think um, uh, Celine Shiyama attempts in that early scene to clarify specifically the music and play enough of it that hopefully you recognize it later, even if you don't. Mm. But I also think that, yeah, I think she's relying on that piece of classical, you know, orchestral music mm. to be something you've probably heard before. Yeah. And it will do a little bit of the heavy lifting of that scene. And if you're not familiar with classical music, you might've missed that one. Mm. That That's actually a fair point. I, I I suppose so. Uh, might dull the impact. I think the film plays just fine without that recognition. I think mm. the the there's a sustained shot of one of the characters that's heartbreaking, even if you don't know the piece of music in mm-hmm. in question. 
Uh, but if you understand the context, I think the scene is a lot more powerful. Yeah, usually when I see something like that, I'm moved to learn. I want to figure out what, you know, what is the significance of that piece of music? What's the history of it? And thanks to the internet, I can look that up immediately. Uh, and it, it just sort of wa- wants me to expand my horizons a little bit rather than just sort of resent that I missed something. Yeah. Uh, I remember uh, uh, seeing. I'm trying to think of like an example of. Well, I remember. Re- well, actually I re- did miss out on. I remember something. seeing what's opera doc. Oh yeah, uh, classic Looney Tune uh, cartoon starring Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd, mm. and it is a really spirited, dramatic parody of uh, of opera. Is is it? What's the name of the opera in that? Is it Flight of the Valkyries or something? Well, it's, 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 it's Wagner. Vaguely Wagner it's yeah. Wagner. It's not specifically mm. one. Okay, but I don't know. Oh, they, they do sing Ride of the Valkyries. Yeah. They're spoofing off of opera. When I was a kid, all I knew about opera was the cartoon I was currently watching. <laughs> I knew the concept of opera because I'd seen it parodied in cartoons before, but I don't know more than that. I still don't know a lot more than that. I've never really gotten into opera. I, I know enough to understand what I'm seeing, but I've never been to the opera. Mm. So I'm probably still not getting enough of what's opera doc. Mm. I, they're smart filmmakers. They probably filled it with a lot of like when I noticed that like when they did parody things like older movies, like gangster movies, like Edward G. Robinson stuff. Like I would get that stuff because I was watching those movies. My mom was yeah. watching those movies with me when I was a kid. So I had that baseline. So there's probably stuff in there that I'm still not picking up on. But that's an example there where I don't fully know everything I'm missing in that. I still mm. get it. It's still funny, but it's not the same, is it? Yeah. Um, I remember you and Dave White uh, talking about a film called Cemetery of Splendor. Oh yeah, and, yes, uh, which that's is a good an Api Chopong Wirasethical film, and it's about uh, a hospital for soldiers who have fallen asleep and just don't wake up, mm-hmm. and they don't know the cause of this, mm-hmm. and or, or, and they can like answer questions. I don't remember what the actual. It's a little weird. It's a, it's a weird premise, basically. Yeah. But yeah, it's like they're not really mm. comatose. Yeah, they're just asleep. And, and, uh, and yeah, I've, it's a it's a it's a strange pre- yeah, I, it's a strange premise in a strange film. I've not seen Cemetery of Splendor, but I have seen Uncle Boon Me. I've seen a few other uh, Api Chapong Weirasethical films, and uh, he makes films that are very very Thai. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very much of Thailand, his home country. And uh, when you were talking about Cemetery of Splendor, and Dave White as well mentioned this, there's probably something so culturally specific about that particular film. That as an American audience, we're just not going to know unless yeah. we've lived in Thailand or know a lot of Thai people. We're always going to be a little mm. distance from it because mm. we just don't live there. Yeah. And, we, we, and, and this is often true with like a lot of films from other countries that are really steeped in that culture don't even get released in America mm. because it might be full of like wordplay that we're not going to yeah. get translated no matter how good the translation is mm. because that's just not the way it works. I was astonished that a film like District 9 mm. got as much traction as it did in America because that is a very South African movie. Yeah. Deals very with very specific South African politics. Um, 
I find that kind of exposure to something I don't quite understand or a piece of art whose significance I don't quite get to be thrilling. Can be. I yeah. like it when I because I know I'm being exposed to something, even though I don't understand it in the moment. Mm-hmm. It's like being even just if, dropped you know, into like a mm-hmm. part of the world and you've done yeah, no plan to be there, you don't know the it's language. It's like a, a little little spoonful of complete immersion if if that's yeah. possible. Yeah, yeah. So uh rather than resent the fact that maybe Portrait of a Lady on Fire didn't quite work well for you because you didn't understand one piece of music. Which isn't necessarily what they're yeah. saying, but, mm. you know, this I just didn't hit him as hard. Yeah. Um, maybe it didn't hit you for other reasons. Maybe uh, if knowing that piece of music wouldn't have helped. Maybe there's just something about that film that's not hitting your wavelength. Whatever right. the reason, that's fine. Uh, I Personally, I happen to love it. I would recommend it to anyone. Same. Uh, but, yeah, don't don't put resentment on the film. Try to uh, adjust it as being introduced to something. Yeah. It's new and exciting. Look into that piece of music. Uh, See what makes that distinct from all of those other uh, pieces of classical music that you find it indistinguishable from. Right. And again, see why it is distinguishable. You don't have to do this, but it can be really illuminating. And and I mentioned it before. exciting process. Well, I mentioned it before. We do a, a podcast on this feed called episode zero in which we look at the films that set the precedent for movies that are more ubiquitously known now. So right now we're in the middle of Rocky Horror. Mm. But uh, we started off with 20 episodes about the films that influenced Star Wars, many of which I'd seen before. Mm. I'd seen some of the Flash Gordon serials, or I'd seen uh, King Kong, or I'd seen The Wizard of Oz. Uh, But there were a few that I hadn't, and boy, did they completely change the way that I view Star Wars. In mm. particular, I'm thinking of the film 2187. Okay. Uh, George Lucas. So it's 21-87. Yeah, uh, George Lucas. Uh, a lot of people know that George Lucas based Star Wars on World War II films like the Dam Busters or samurai films like the Hidden Fortress. But what a lot of people don't talk about, and it's constantly referenced in the movies, it's the, it's the number of Leia's jail cell in New Hope, uh, mm. uh, Finn's Stormtrooper code number in If Force Awakens is 2187. Um, there was a short film called 2187, and it is an assemblage of pre-existing footage uh, from a variety of different sources. And it is edited together in such a way that it describes the interconnectivity of all things. It's an incredibly ambitious short film, and it's surprisingly effective considering its ambitions. Mm-hmm. And when you look at that film, when, if you, I recommend listening to our episode about it, because when you look at that short film, 2187 and you think about it in context not just with star wars but george lucas's whole filmography including thx uh uh 1168 1138 1138 sorry uh including thx including american graffiti you start to notice the way that lucas is creating parallels and the Mm -hmm. the way that lucas uh thinks about different uh passages of time yeah and all of a sudden i i my perspective on star wars I like Star Wars, mm. you know, not all of it, but like I've, I've, I've been a fan, but my perspective on Star Wars changed dramatically since I not only saw that, mm. a reference that some people have heard of, oh yeah, it's based on a short story or a short film. But once you actually watch it and once you actually think about it, the veil is lifted yeah. and now yeah, I'm like, we, I'm looking we, at this entirely different way and in some respects it's a lot better. Yeah. We, we found, uh, you know, Star Wars takes place a long time ago and that's significant. Yeah. Uh, and how uh, THX 1138 takes place in the future. The past is a place where morality is simple and fun and light. Yeah. The future is a place where, where emotion is dead and people are now part machine. Mm-hmm. 
and American and, uh, Graffiti is about immediacy. It's about you know we're not really concentrating on bigger well, issues. We're it's just about, living. It's about youth. It's about yeah. your immediate past. That's a very nostalgic movie. Yeah, it is, but uh, it's and, also relatively contemporary yeah. compared to the others. But uh, 2187 was the one that takes place in the present, right when things are starting to unravel, right when the connection is being lost. There's there's yeah. something very. Uh, uh, like a lamentation quality about Mm -hmm. that yeah and basically it is Mm -hmm. the force it's basically Mm -hmm. that short film and Mm -hmm. the way we look at that and has it as it permeates through star wars Mm -hmm. changes when you see it and the film's like 10 minutes long and it's easy to find online you should check it out it's really Mm -hmm. interesting um and we again we did a whole episode where we break it down in way more detail than we just did but again I didn't know that when I saw Star Wars. I saw Star Wars as a kid with a laser sword fighting a Black Knight. It turned out to be his dad. Like, that's what I got out of it. But now that I actually broke down the pretension and actually tried to focus on all of the things that did go into it, and he called it shots. Mm. No one's, it's not obscure. He put the name of the movie in his movie. Um, I got more out of it. I think mm. it's more interesting. So uh, I think you'll get more out of Portugal Lady on Fire if you can recognize that music. Uh, if you can't, it will change mm. things a little bit. Yeah, look, uh, you know, look up that piece of music. Uh, yeah, l- that'd listen, be a great opportunity. It, yeah, listen to it independently of the film. Yeah. Uh, listen to it a couple times and then and go back and watch the film. Maybe and do maybe, a little uh, research, find out about the composer mm. and what they were thinking of at the time. Yeah. That, that could be really exciting. Because the filmmakers are definitely putting that kind of thought in. If they're... If they're well, well, some filmmakers job, yeah. do, yeah. Some filmmakers don't. Some filmmakers do, and uh, it's kind of a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, sometimes a, a song selection can have like an extra metatextual commentary going on. Yeah. Um, I saw this it's actually this really harrowing, almost awful movie called "The Killer Inside Me." Oh, and, I and missed that and one. It's, yeah. yeah, it's uh, about a, a serial killer, and there's a lot of uh, just exploitation of women in that movie. It's really, just, it's really gross. Jessica Alba in that. Jessica Alba was yeah, in it. Casey okay. Affleck was in yeah, it. So, okay. um, and if you uh, and you listen to the soundtrack, and it's all these sort of like down homey kind of uh, pop hits from like the early fifties, like country yeah. songs. And when you look up the the song list, you realize each one of those songs was written and performed by somebody who went to prison for murder. Uh, so really? it, it, it adds this little extra element to it. And so if, if you know a lot right. about that kind of music, then it's going to be adding a lot more texture. To yeah, that you're gonna you're gonna pick up on stuff that other people aren't, and that can be really exciting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. good point. All right, uh, that is it for We've Got Mail. Thank you for that great letter, by the way. That was an interesting conversation. But uh, that is it for We've Got Mail this week. Thank you, everybody who wrote in. Uh, if we didn't get your email, we'll try next week. But keep trying. If it's super important, you know, let us know. We're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, and once again, that email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, if you want more exclusive content from Critically Acclaimed, you can head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, we've talked about some of those podcasts this week. That's about only the best, our Oscars podcast. Uh, we have a Star Trek podcast, a Batman podcast, a Disney podcast. We do commentary tracks. A uh, lot of exclusive stuff is available over there. We're incredibly grateful to all of our patrons, without whom even this free channel would not still exist. We just wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to do it. Um, and, uh, so everyone who can afford to contribute and has been, been able to do so, we're incredibly grateful to you. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, anyone new who's interested, there's a lot of content just waiting for you right there, right now at the press play, press start already there. <laughs> um, 
But, um, yeah, and of course we have a lot of other stuff right here on the channel. So thank you everybody for subscribing, leaving us a review wherever you find us. And especially thank you everybody in this podcast for writing in. Uh, it's wonderful to hear your thoughts, uh, hear your perspectives, the things that concern you, the things that you're interested in. Um, sometimes we don't know what people need to hear about or want to hear about or haven't had um, as part of the conversation. Mm. And they're really fascinated by because there's so much to talk about all the time. Um, and I'm just really grateful that we get to do it. So thank you, everybody. Once again, you're awesome. Stay awesome. Stay safe. Please. It's a hard year already. <laughs> we don't want another 2020. We want it to be a, a little rough at the beginning and then smooth sailing, right? That's it. Let's make it happen. Thank you once again. Sincerely yours, Bibbs and Winnie. <laughs>